Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. When historians talk about an early American utopian society or communal cult, they're usually talking about a grand tragedy. Such affairs seldom end well. There are a few notable exceptions, but all too many of them end up an undignified mess of litigation and hard feelings, and some even end in bloodshed and madness. There is one communal society, though, that's consistently cited in positive terms, even by authors openly hostile to its religious underpinnings. For 30 years, the Aurora colonists just south of Canby prospered relatively happily under the mostly benign eye of their charismatic leader, Wilhelm Keil. And in marked contrast to the embarrassment folks in many other communities in the American West feel about the cults that made their towns famous decades ago, people in the area still have warm, fuzzy feelings for the colony today. Well, Aurora got its start in Missouri, as a colony of a colony, as it were. Kyle and his followers had formed a Methodist-inspired communal living colony there, calling it Bethel. But Missouri was growing fast, and the Oregon Trail had opened into a torrent of wagons leaving from that very state. Kyle and his flock decided to join the throng. The journey to Oregon got started in 1855, in a wagon train led by Kyle's dead son, preserved in whiskey to honor a promise made to the lad before his death. And that's a story in itself. That journey, though, led them to Willapaw Bay in Washington, which an unfortunate follower had visited in the summertime when it was gorgeous. Kyle's party arrived, as wagon trains usually did, in the late autumn, just as the southern Washington coast's famous rainy season was getting underway. Kyle was not impressed. Road-weary though everyone surely was, they immediately packed up again and headed south, and ended up in what's now Aurora. Aurora, named after Kyle's youngest daughter, was the stage for the group's golden age. Members spoke German in a land that mostly didn't, and that made the social boundaries that were so important to communal societies easy to maintain. The land was fertile and sunny, and there were already productive orchards in place there. Aurora was also close enough to other settlements that colonists could sell their surplus goods. This was important. A key part of Kyle's objection to Willapaw was its isolation. For although the Aurora colonists liked to keep a bright line between themselves and outsiders, they were by no means antisocial. The Aurora colony, although very serious about its Christianity, exhibited an almost startling lack of crazy dogma, and did not fall into the outside world is evil trap. Members were free to talk to outsiders, although not to regularly socialize or marry them. The colony quickly became famous for its musicians and its hospitality. Many people traveling up and down the valley timed their journeys so that evening would catch them near Aurora so they could stay in its hotels. And the group was instrumental in bringing about the first Oregon State Fair, at which Aurora musicians and goods were proudly on display in 1861. 
This was clearly not a cult that wanted to disappear into the wilderness and go its own way, or, to use a more appropriate metaphor for a religious community, to hide its light under a bushel. As for what life in the colony was like, well, sources differ pretty dramatically. Kyle may not have been a faith-crazed loony like some other utopia-chasing leaders we could mention, but he was most definitely a charismatic and unambiguously autocratic leader. It's the benevolence, or lack of benevolence, of his autocracy that is most in dispute. Supporters called him Dr. Kyle. Opponents preferred King Kyle. Under his direction, there was a modest list of don'ts, but it didn't include some of the most popular ones. The colony grew tobacco, and members smoked it. The quality of the distilled spirits they produced was famously high. They were also famous for their thrift and their productivity and their square dealing, a combination that led directly to a good deal of commercial success, and as it had for the Quaker communities in the Midwest. In fact, the colony members had a lot in common with Quakers. One thing they didn't share with the Quakers, though, was an immortal moral guide. Rather than looking for the word of God in each believer's inner light, the Aurora colonists looked for it in their leader. When that leader died rather abruptly in 1877, it was all over. The colony's assets were liquidated in federal court, and after presenting Judge Matthew Deedy with an inscribed silver bowl as a thank-you gift for his wise oversight of that process, the colonists stepped into the outside world with little Sturm und Drang. The Aurora colony probably left its biggest imprint on Oregon in the form of cuisine. As the Shaker colonies on the East Coast became famous as woodcrafters, the Aurora colony earned renown in what we call today, rather bloodlessly, the hospitality industry. Other remnants of the colony are relatively few. Some of the buildings in Aurora today date from the Kyle era, and the old Aurora Colony Historical Museum has preserved many artifacts as well. But there's something else left there, too. Something harder to pin down, and something so subjective that I'm almost embarrassed to mention it. It's a kind of warm, golden feel that the town has. A sense that this was a special place. A place that served up, for those few decades so long ago, some of the best the American utopian movement had to offer, and shared it unselfishly with the outside world. Overly romantic hogwash? Probably. But the contrast between the Aurora Colony and cults like the Holy Rollers of Corvallis Waldport is striking and telling. Kyle and his followers certainly were doing some important things right. This story was first published on October 2nd of 2011 under the headline, Aurora Colony Showcased the Best of Utopian Movement. Key sources included works by Coralie Castle Stanton, James J. Kopp, and Stuart Holbrook. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff. Plus a book, including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Facara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. 
Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.